Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Educating Investors podcast. My name is Scott Peterson, Financial Advisor of Harmony Wealth Management. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode. I thought since this is the 10th episode of this podcast that this would be a good time to revisit and give updates on some of the previous topics covered in episodes of this podcast. I think these topics are important to investors to know and understand and therefore I believe updating them for investors is equally important. I believe that educated investors equal successful investors. The goal of this podcast is to help to educate as many individuals as possible on markets, the economy, and financial planning topics. The previous topics of my podcast that I will be giving updates on include the potential for recessions, the repo market, characteristics of bear markets, risk in the triple B bond market, and finally the trade war. In the first episode of the Educating Investors podcast titled, Is This Time Different?, I discussed some indicators that have been pretty successful in determining the increase in the possibility of the occurrence of a recession. I would like to go through and give an update on those particular indicators. The first indicator that we took a look at was that of the inverted yield curve. As a refresher, an inverted yield curve represents a situation in which long-term debt instruments have lower yields than short-term debt instruments of the same credit quality. The 10-year Treasury, 3-month Treasury yield curve is the preferred curve that the Federal Reserve looks at. The yield curve has been inverted for much of the year until recently. The three rate cuts that the Federal Reserve has issued has inverted the curve. So the thought is that we don't have to worry about this as a recession indicator since the curve is not inverted. This is actually not true. Historically, the yield curve tends to widen after inversion because the Fed finally realizes that they have to cut rates due to potential recession risk. Jeffrey Gunlack, founder of Double Line Capital, an investment firm, recently stated, What people don't understand is that when the recession is getting to be close to your doorstep, the curve actually steepens out because the Fed gets the joke finally that they're behind the curve and they need to cut interest rates more. According to research from Martin Enlin and Andreas Larson of Nordea Markets, indeed over the past 40 years, only during the successful precautionary rate cuts in 1998, did a re yield curve not constitute a worrisome sign. The next two indicators that we discussed actually came from two of the Federal Reserve Banks, the first one being the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland. That indicator actually dropped from August when it was showing a 44.1% probability of recession in one year. Currently, that indicator, as of the end of October, is showing a 31% probability of recession. The fact that that indicator has turned lower is nothing new. During the Great Recession, the indicators started to turn over as we went through the recession. This indicator has predicted each of the last seven recessions, And there were a few false positives in 1966 and 1998. Again, nothing is foolproof. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York's recession indicator, just like the Federal Reserve Bank of Cleveland's, is also based on the 10-year, 3-month Treasury yield curve. As of September 4th of this year, it showed almost a 38% probability of recession occurring in the next year, but has since gone down to a reading of 29.08% as of October. Still very close to the 30%, which is an important level, because a reading above 30% has preceded all recent recessions. The measure has breached the 30% threshold before every recession since 1960. One of the indicators that has already happened is the end of the last tightening cycle, which ended in December of 2018. 
As David Rosenberg, chief economist and strategist with Gluskin Chef, pointed out since 1950, there have been 13 cycles where the Fed has tightened interest rates, and 10 of them have ended in recession. There are two recession indicators that have not turned as of yet, one being the leading economic index and another the unemployment indicator used by Jeffrey Gunlack, founder of Double Line Capital. The leading economic index, also known as LEI, which is put out by the conference boards, is an indicator that has never failed to roll over in advance of a recession starting. Historically, the average is 13 months from the LEI peak and it rolling over to the start of the recession, and currently it has not peaked and rolled over. In regards to the unemployment indicator, this is an indicator used by Jeffrey Gunlack, who is founder of Double Line Capital, which is an investment firm. When the current U3 unemployment rate is higher than the 36-month average, then the recession are likely. The current U3 unemployment rate is not currently higher than the 36-month moving average, so this indicator at this time is not calling for a recession. And finally, the last indicator that I looked at was Ned Davis Research Group, a company that provides historical investment and economic research to investment professionals, which has its own proprietary global recession probability indicator, which currently shows a 92.68% probability of recession as of the end of October. So, the yield curve is not currently inverted, but the uninverted yield curve is not an all-clear sign, as many would say. The yield curve indicators from the New York and Cleveland Fed have pulled back in the last few months, but are still in a range when other recessions occurred in the past. The leading economic index has not turned over, and the Gunlack recession indicator using unemployment has not triggered. But the Ned Davis Global Recession Probability Indicator is at a level normally associated with an almost 93% probability of recession. So the update of these indicators still show an above average possibility of recession in the near future. So revisit your asset allocation based on your personalized financial plan to make sure that the rebalancing that's needed to be done is completed. If you don't have a financial plan and an asset allocation based off that plan, work with a financial advisor that is a fiduciary working in your best interest to develop a personalized financial plan and allocation. In episode 5 of this podcast titled, Should We Fear the Repo?, I discussed the issues that arose in September with the increase in rates in the short-term lending market. The repo market is like plumbing in the United States financial system, making sure banks have enough cash to meet their short-term needs. In September, repo rates surged to a level as high as 10%, almost 8% higher than the Fed funds rate, which repo rates should closely be tied to. Since then, the Federal Reserve has continued to participate in open market operations by providing access to liquidity through overnight repo operations as well as term operations. The Federal Reserve Bank of New York added $103.65 billion in temporary liquidity to the financial system on Thursday of last week. Along with this, the Fed started a $60 billion per month Treasury bill purchase program that will continue into second quarter of next year. They don't want to call this quantitative easing, also known as QE, but it is QE. I discussed in the Should We Fear the Repo podcast that this could be one of the solutions that they could look at to help to alleviate the problem. As I also stated in that episode, that the real problem with starting QE again is that historically, quantitative easing, QE, has actually been correlated with the rising in long-term interest rates just at a time when deficits and the debt are rising, which would lead to higher interest costs on our debt. So the dollar shortage liquidity issue that started in September is still around based on the actions of the Fed to add liquidity. 
I believe that this will continue to be a problem based on primary dealers having to purchase the ever-increasing supply of treasuries being issued to fund the deficit. The primary dealers have to finance holdings more treasuries, which means a higher demand for repo funding, which leads to higher rates for the repo market. This is an important issue to keep an eye on because it can be an early indication of risk in the market. During the financial crisis, unexpected changes in the short-term borrowing costs provided some of the earliest indications of significant problems on Wall Street as investors grew leery of lending to prominent financial institutions. Next, I would like to update where we stand in regards to the characteristics of bear markets, which I discussed in Episode 6 of this podcast of the same name. The four characteristics associated with bear markets are number one, recessions, number two, commodity spikes, number three, aggressive central bank policy, and number four, excessive valuation. I updated recession indicators earlier in this podcast, and those indicators still show an elevated probability of recession, even though they have weakened some recently. There has not been any sign of a commodity spike if you look at the Dow Jones Commodity Index of industrial metals that has been falling since June of 2018. If you look at the individual industrial commodities such as oil, steel, and copper, they all have been falling as well. Central bank policy has dramatically turned in the last year, with the Federal Reserve going from tightening in 2018 to cutting rates three times in 2019. This along with the European Central Bank cutting their policy rate as well as starting up QE again would say it ended at the end of 2018 as well. There are no signs of aggressive central bank policy as developed and developed economies central banks have been cutting rates. Finally, as it comes to excessive valuation, the U.S. market looks to be overvalued currently. According to the J.P. Morgan Guide to the Market, the S&P 500 is trading at a forward P.E. of 17.55 times versus a 25-year average of 16.24 times. It is also overvalued if one looks at price-to-book and price-to-cash flow versus a 25-year average. In terms of the international equities, the IFA index, which represents international developed markets, has a current forward P.E. of 14.5 times, while the emerging markets is 12.2. So in comparison to the S&P 500, both of these areas are trading at cheaper valuations based on forward P.E. ratios. However, earnings growth has been falling for the U.S., international developed markets, and the emerging markets. So currently, the probability of recession and excessive valuations are bear market characteristics that are currently present. It's important to know that you don't need all these factors to be present to have a bear market. I'm not predicting that a bear market is imminent, but again, I think it is important for investors to be educated in factors and characteristics that can cause bear markets to appear. This allows the investor to revisit their financial situation to see if any changes are necessary to their asset allocation based on their financial plan. In episode 7 titled The Risk in the Triple B Bond Market and the Potential Aftershocks, I took a look at the potential risk currently in the Triple B Bond Market and the potential for other risks that could arise from it. The risk in the Triple B Bond Market has not improved since the recording of that podcast episode and actually may have only become more risky. According to rating agency Fitch, new U.S. investment grade non-financial corporate bond volume totaled $550 billion through the first three quarters of 2019, on pace to set this mass to 2017 full-year record of $614 billion. The triple B portion accounted for 65% of this year's volume, 11% more than in 2017. So as rates have dropped over the last year, 
corporate issuers are issuing record levels of debt to take advantage of the lower rate. So the size of the triple B market is only getting larger, which leads to more risk in a slowdown or recession in the economy. Those risks would be the downgrade of triple B debt to junk, where investors could be forced to sell because of loss of investment grade status, the downgrade of triple B to junk causing supply to flood the junk bond market at a time when demand could be a lot less, and finally, the stock of triple B issuers if forced to cut their dividends to keep their debt from being downgraded. This late in the economic cycle, I believe investors should look to upgrade the quality of their fixed income, lower exposure to the aggressive fixed income like high yield, and investors should look to see if these issuers' stock could be at risk based on them having to do whatever is necessary not to be downgraded to high yield, which would cause their funding costs to increase in the bond market. Finally, in Episode 8, titled The Multiple Front of the Trade Wars and Their Economic Consequences, I discussed the current trade situation and multiple fronts of the trade war. Since I recorded this episode, the Chinese and the U.S. are trying to come to an agreement on a Phase 1 deal in their trade war. Currently, there still seems to be no agreement on how much more in agricultural products that the Chinese are going to buy, and no agreement on tariffs being rolled back. So as we are getting later in the year, it is becoming more difficult to believe that Phase 1 is going to be completed before the end of this year. That also goes for the USMCA, which is the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement, based on the chances this late in the year that a vote on that trade deal will happen. Finally, there is a chance that tariffs could be placed on the European Union, including autos, even though the deadline passed to initiate tariffs on imported automobiles last week. So there is still a lot of uncertainty on the trade front, which causes businesses to slow investment, which hurts economic growth. A Wall Street Journal article stated recently that capital spending by S&P 500 companies rose in the third quarter by just 0.8% or combined $1.38 billion from the second quarter. I hope these updates on these very important topics covered in earlier episodes of this podcast were useful. If you want to learn more about the specifics and details of each of these topics, I would recommend listening to the original episodes of this podcast that cover each topic. As always, if you don't feel that you have the time, want, and or expertise to develop a financial plan and asset allocation based on that plan, find a financial advisor that will act as a fiduciary in your best interest that can assist you. This advisor should be able to assist you in help diversifying some of these risks based on your personal financial plan and allocation. Remember that a number of financial professionals sitting in the chair today don't have the experience or the ability to help you manage your portfolio through different investment cycles because they were not around when the last one happened. If your current advisor does not take the time to educate you on these risks and find ways to diversify your portfolio from them, find a financial advisor that can because an educated investor equals a successful investor. This completes this episode of the Educating Investors podcast. I know that time is an important asset for everybody, so I appreciate you taking a part of your day to listen. If you enjoyed the content of this podcast, feel free to share this with other friends and family that may be interested and benefit. Also, feel free to check out my website at www.harmonywealthmanagement.com to learn more about what I do as well as to find my contact information and links to my LinkedIn page and blog. The Educating Investors podcast is presented for informational purposes only. The information presented on the Educating Investors podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Always consult a licensed investment professional before making investment decisions. 
the Educating Investors Podcast, its host Scott Peterson, and its firm Harmony Wealth Management LLC should not be held liable for any losses resulting from investment decisions based on information or viewpoints presented on the Educating Investors Podcast show.